electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You got your scorecard on Wall Street, closing near the lows, but winners stay late. Welcome to Closing Bell Overtime. I am John Fort with Morgan Brennan, and we've got a big hour of earnings coming your way. Growth stories are the theme. NVIDIA and Snowflake, NVIDIA touching 52-week highs a week ago, more than doubling year-to-date. Snowflake trading at less than half its pandemic peak, looking to show its data prowess is still strong. We're also going to get numbers from retailers, American Eagle, and guests. Reporters are standing by to bring you all of those results. Plus, we'll talk to former Barclays CEO Bob Diamond about the just-released Fed minutes, and we'll get his take on the debt ceiling debate. But now let's get straight to the market action. The indices posting back-to-back down sessions and a late-day surge fizzled. Joining us now, Jack Caffrey, Equity Portfolio Manager at J.P. Morgan Private Bank, and Ben Emmons, New Edge Wealth Senior Portfolio Manager with us here on set. Guys, Welcome. Uh, Jack, first to you, do NVIDIA and Snowflake, which we are waiting for, matter outside of the individual stocks themselves, especially NVIDIA, given it's a high multiple, big market cap stock. It's got an AI story. There's a lot of similarities with some names out there that have been moving. Uh, you know, I think very much so when we consider the very the relatively narrow breadth that the market has had this year, with so much, 75 to 80%, depending on the day, of the S&P return really being driven by six generally technology, secularish growth stocks. I do think there's some shifting under the curve, whether those really are secular stories anymore. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, NVIDIA plays very much to this theme around AI um, and whether that is a story which can continue for so many of the other, so much of the leadership. Um, you know, we would actually see a safer market one with a little bit more breadth. But right now, you know, certainly people are willing to bet on the horses continuing to lead. Okay, Ben, so what are you reading through to, if anything, out of these earnings, even if it's just sentiment, right, not specific industry? Yeah, I think the sentiment is driven by that AI hype, so to speak, and, you know, it's captured the markets, and it's relevant because if it's something about, like, a, a accelerated hype and keeps people sort of in the markets without really thinking it through, that's when you get this sudden sentiment turns, you know, if the debt ceiling, say, becomes worse, and it seems that the becoming a little bit of, of attention, they had a whole, you know, let's say sparkling theme around AI just suddenly disappears. I think that's what you want to watch for. I mean, the theme really seems to be for the market right now. And yes, we finished the day lower, near the lows of the day. The S&P finishing down at 41.15 uh, with every sector but energy in the red. But it feels like mixed. Mixed is the headline, whether you're talking about the latest debt ceiling headlines, whether you're talking about earnings, whether you're talking about macro data. What's an investor to do here? That's not an easy one, Morgan, but I think that you want to at least stay invested, obviously. I don't think you should be completely out of it and put all your money into T-bills that are safe currently, because some are not, apparently. Um, and secondly, I, there's a lot of sub-opportunity, though. I mean, there is opportunity in tech, there's opportunity in financials, for example, or even in defensive, because this is not an economy in recession. Right? It's an economy that's showing actually resilience, you know, and if you listen to the minutes today from the Fed, they have to continue to consider a hike really because the economy is not showing any real slowdown or recession just yet. So 
I'd say stay invested, stay involved, because it's not really a market to be really, really bearish about, in my view. Okay. Uh, ben, want to get your thoughts on this, especially when you had Toll Brothers, was one of those uh, companies that reported results after the bell last night, uh, really strong results. And we have seen this outperformance of home, build, home builders in recent days, in recent weeks. What is that signaling about the cycle we're in in the economy right now? Uh, Jack, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh. I'm, Jack, I'm sorry. No worries. Um, well, I do think, you know, when you take apart the strength in the home builders, it strikes me that you do see a bit of a macro bet being made by the builders, which is that that they are buying off on the bar market's conviction that we are going to get lower interest rates sooner rather than later. Um, and I think at the same time, when you look at what has been working, it, whether it's the consumer staples names, whether it's that high growth technology space, those seemingly all work well when you come back to this idea that inflation will be cured sooner rather than later, but that the cure for inflation will not be the decline into a recession. I do think it's, it's sort of interesting because staples would seem to be late cycle, home builders early cycle. The two working together would seem to suggest that, you know, it's not a classic equity cycle unfolding, not a classic economic cycle. And maybe it's one that comes back to more rolling recessions where we think about the cost restructuring you've seen in so many technology companies. Mm -hmm. Can that actually take us? And that underpins where the Fed, I think, has its confusion. Okay. They're not getting the pushback that they're supposed to see. And so you have that battle well, to raise or not to raise. Sticking with a big picture perspective, Ben, you say the chances of debt limit negotiations failing, Fed hiking in June, more banks falling into the hands of the FDIC, and a recession hitting this summer, you say all around 30%. I think you mean each around 30%, right? But the likelihood of one or more of those things happening is probably more than 30%. So if these debt ceiling negotiations continue to go sideways, as they seem to be at least today, does that increase the chances of banks failing or of a recession hitting? And should investors think about this as perhaps more than a 30% chance of things going more wrong than they are right now? Yeah, it's a trifecta, right? <laughs> it's, it's an issue of like, say that the debt ceiling passes us by, but the Federal Reserve has made some, some strong comments about this in its minutes about, you know, this is an issue that then gets to the background and the Fed continues to focus on inflation then, you know, hiking rates will put more pressure on the banking system, right? It will. Keep, keep that thought. I just want to mention uh, Snowflake is out. That's why you see it down uh, more than 10% right now. We are going through the numbers. We're going to bring those to you as soon as we can. Sorry. Yeah, as I was saying, like it puts pressure on the banking system because of that ongoing dynamic between deposits and interest, higher interest you can get in T-bills or elsewhere. In addition, that you, you do have this lingering recession hanging there. It's, I think, a psychological issue at this moment, given that the data hasn't shown it yet. But I do think that if you're getting higher rates, as the Fed has to get this inflation under control, yes, it will let, lead to some point of this risk of recession becoming bigger. And that's your 30% or, or higher that you have to, you know, as a investor, keep in mind. Yeah, Jack, um, how much hinges on the Fed cutting rates for this market here? Um, because we continue to, to hear the Fed speak that it's going to be the message is higher for longer. It's a little bit of a, it depends on who, who which official talks, but it, it does seem like it, it's a little bit of a question mark. And yes, I know data dependent in terms of whether we get more hikes or whether we are actually on pause. And yet the market continues to believe that we are going to see these cuts. Who's right? Well, I, I think data dependent is a nicer way of saying we don't know. And, you know, from that, I think it comes back to the economic data has been surprisingly well calibrated, the forecasts. 
um, and that we were expecting a recession earlier this year. The recession seems to be keeping pushed out. Companies are generally doing a reasonable job controlling their costs and continuing to bring earnings through a little bit better than expected. So I really think if I'm looking through where the, the stress point might be, it's going to be the sensitivity of, of lending officers and whether we continue to see credit standards tighten, um, which they may have to if companies are forced to actually, if banks are forced to actually earn higher net interest margins over what they're paying more for their deposits. Mm. But ultimately, waiting for the Fed to tell me all clear, uh, their forecasting record is, shall we say, checkered at best, um, <laughs> or maybe lacking if okay. I wanted to be a cynical equity investor. But the bond market <laughs> seems convinced that the Fed will be cutting sooner rather than later. I think the bond market is one that's really the one that we should be looking to to tell us whether the equity market is right or wrong. We'll leave it there. Cynicism pays sometimes. Jack, Ben, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I mentioned that Snowflake earnings are out. Frank Holland is now ready to go through the numbers. Frank? Hey there, John. Uh, you can see shares are falling double digits down almost to 12% right now. Um, miss when it came to revenues. However, a big beat on EPS, 10 cents above estimates. Really what you're looking at here is a, a miss on RPO. That's a metric for its pipeline. RPO's estimate was at 3.6 billion. It came in at 3.4 billion. Also, when it comes to product guidance for the full year, that's lower, it's below estimates right now. That's why you're seeing the stock fall right now. Um, in the report, however, the company's uh, CEO, Frank Slootman, really pointing to the fact that there's a big tailwind for this company when it comes to data for AI, saying that data has a gravitational pull and has given the vast universe of data that Snowflake manages, it is no surprise that interest in data science, AI, and machine learning is escalating while its uses are rapidly evolving, but not directly talking about the demand and how it uh, impacts the company. But again, uh, a miss on the top line, a beat when it came to EPS, 10 cents above estimates. However, its guidance, very soft. Shares of Snowflake down more than 12% now. Back over to you. Frank, the year-over-year year, uh, growth that they are projecting for uh, the next quarter is 33 to 34 uh, percent, I believe. Right. Uh, and that, that's down a bit from where it's been. They, they don't say a lot about consumption in this release itself. So uh, do you have a sense of what you might be listening for on the call here? Because Frank Slootman spent a lot of time with us on overtime last quarter talking right. about consumption trends and how that's different from overall what customers are expected to spend once we get through a difficult economic patch. You know, absolutely. That's really the question. One of the things I really want to note is that generally uh, Snowflake puts its customer count right at the top of the report. Right now, they're, they're segmenting it out. They're saying uh, customers, they're in the global 2000, um, you know, not really putting the whole number. So there's a question right there in this macro environment. Also, uh, as we mentioned, they did reduce their guidance when it came to full year revenues for product. Products really, they get most of their money. It was about 40% before. Now it's going down to 34%. So uh, listening to the call, I really want to hear about their customers, their ability to re retain customers in this environment. As I mentioned, their RPO was a miss. And the other big thing to listen for is the potential acquisition of Neva. It's an AI-powered search company. Um, there were reports that it was going to acquire it. We haven't heard a lot about it in recent days, but that's a question if this company is trying to use M&A to really ramp up for the AI race. Indeed. All right, Frank, thank you. Uh, speaking of, thank you. Frank's who we want to hear from. Don't miss Jim Cramer's exclusive interview with Snowflake CEO Frank Slootman coming up at 6 p.m. on Mad Money. Morgan. Well, CNBC senior markets commentator Michael Santoli joins us now from the New York Stock Exchange to talk NVIDIA while we await those numbers as well. Hi, Mike.
Hi, Morgan. Yeah, just trying to frame out exactly how large NVIDIA has grown, both in just sheer market scale and also valuation uh, against some other bellwether stocks. Here you see the market cap of uh, NVIDIA once again eclipsing that of Berkshire Hathaway. So NVIDIA here trades at, I don't know, 22 times sales. Uh, Berkshire Hathaway is 20, 20 or so times earnings. Clearly, NVIDIA growing monstrously faster, but a much smaller economic footprint. So it shows you the preferences of, uh, of investors right now relative to, you know, old versus new economy, as you might uh, say. It also was a very brief stay uh, at a premium market cap to Berkshire Hathaway back uh, a year or so ago. Now, take a look, too, at valuation compared to Amazon. Of course, Amazon for decades has defined almost the boundaries of, of a highly valued growth company where you didn't really pay attention to today's earnings because they were understated relative to the global domination that the company was building. And now they're almost exactly in parity. So you see Amazon has, in a jagged way, gotten its uh, earnings multiple compressed as, uh, as uh, NVIDIA has climbed up towards 60. Uh, so clearly, uh, look, the, the, the hurdle might be surmountable, but it's not low uh, at this point, guys. It's in a very special place, NVIDIA, isn't it, Mike? I'm yes. looking at NVIDIA versus Tesla year-to-date, uh, one-year, yep. two-year, five-year. It really started outperforming um, at the beginning of this year. I mean, Tesla yeah. hasn't done quite as well even as nvidia has right not not even not close uh, in fact even if you go into the fourth quarter of last year it really does seem to be timed pretty well into chat gpt and the other thing i keep pointing out is so this 60 times earnings it essentially gets it back to that peak uh, right around the Nasdaq peak, uh, in, you know, late 2021, whereas the overall Nasdaq and things like Microsoft uh, are basically halfway back to that peak valuation. So it is a special case along uh, several fronts. All right. Mike Santoli, we'll see you later in the hour. Up next, former Barclays CEO Bob Diamond weighs in on the debt ceiling and the X state or as the X state gets ever closer. Plus, we're going to bring you those NVIDIA numbers as soon as they cross. And we will ask an analyst if the stock can keep climbing after more than doubling this year, as we just covered. Overtime is back in two. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. Saving, researching, investing. Now you can take those investments to the next level with Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today. I have an investment account with Schwab and a 401k with Fidelity, and I use Yahoo Finance to consolidate them so it's incredibly easy to manage. They've been helping great investors like you for over 25 years. So whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking to level up, Yahoo Finance can simplify things, putting all your tools and data in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a 360-degree look at the financial news cycle, from breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, and customizable charts. They've got you covered. You can see all of your 401k and other investments by securely linking your brokerage accounts. Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you see your wealth in its entirety. That big-picture perspective helps smart investors become even better. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Welcome back to Overtime. Today's Fed Minutes showed officials are less certain about their next move due to lags in policy, with some members not seeing the need for more 
rate hikes. And many officials said it was important to raise the debt limit in order to avoid risks to the economy and our financial system. But according to House Speaker Kevin McCarthy earlier today, negotiations are still held up over disagreements on spending. So let's bring in Bob Diamond, CEO of Atlas Merchant Capital and the former CEO of Barclays. Bob, great to have you on the show. Thanks for being here. Nice to be here, Morgan. So, I mean, it's like pick your poison on any given day and any yeah. given hour. Let's start with the debt ceiling. want to get your thoughts on this uh, as we do get closer to that June 1st potential X date. Uh, just, how, just how real the risk is here for the markets, which, yes, we've seen some gyrations in treasuries, but overall seems to be rather sanguine, dare I say, uh, given, given how close we're getting to that date. Yeah, I guess I'd say a couple things on that. First of all, um, you know, I've seen this movie many times. Um, you know, we, we play this political game leading up and into the limit. I think uh, there's no question that it would be a terrible, terrible, terrible decision uh, to default for the dollar, for U.S. Treasuries, for a brand and reputation. I think the chances of that happening are extremely light. Um, I also think that the June 1st deadline, Morgan, is probably can be extended pretty easily. Uh, I think originally um, uh, Treasury Secretary Yellen talked about January and then there were a number of things you can do uh, around payments and, and uh, other things to extend it to June 1st. If we can extend it to June 15th, we have corporate tax payments coming in. We have uh, personal tax payments coming in. So I think I think the deadline's a bit artificial. I don't think people should worry about June 1st as much as they're saying. But Morgan, here's the here's the rub in my mind. Um, think of the deficit. When President Trump came into office, the deficit was $20 trillion. Since then, during the Trump and Biden administrations, it's now $31.4 trillion. I almost can't say that. $31.4 trillion. So the deficit has grown 63% during the Trump and Biden administrations, when we've been in pretty much Goldilocks economy and Goldilocks Fed policy and stimulus. So what's going to happen in the tougher times, which we all know are coming with higher interest rates? And I think I think it's perfectly OK to be talking about reducing spending as part of this this uh, uh, agreement. And uh, and I and I think I think it's wrong to say that it should be off the table. Yeah. Um, I mean, we did have a pandemic thrust in there, but to, but but your point is, your point is, is a very good one. And of course, when you do talk about higher interest rates, you are talking about uh, a higher a higher cost of servicing all of that debt as it continues to grow as well. So it brings us back to the Fed. Um, yeah. Data dependency seems to be seems to be the theme. And this idea yeah. of higher for longer where interest rates are concerned. Um, but then you had Waller earlier today basically saying that he doesn't support stopping rate hikes unless inflation cools. And we know it's moving in the right direction. It's still much too high compared to that 2% yeah target, but but your thoughts on that, especially when something like PCE, which comes out on Friday, um, is, is lagged. Listen, we feel inflation has clearly peaked. Uh, it's moving in the right direction. It's slipped under 5% recently. Um, we believe that if by the end of the year, inflation is between 3 and 4%, the Fed will be absolutely delighted. And I know people talk about this 2% target, but I don't think they should be thinking about that. The 2% target, I think, is a very academic exercise. It was only put in in 2012 by Chairman Bernanke. I think both Chairman Volcker and Chairman Greenspan, who kind of had more of a markets orientation, worried much more about stability than the magic of 2%. In fact, when Chairman Volcker left in 1987, 
uh, inflation was above 4%, and he was lionized as, as the man and the chairman that, that tamed inflation. Mm -hmm. So I think we're going in the right direction. I think the phrase you used is correct. I think they'll be data dependent on whether or not there are more increases. And unless the data is very strong um, in terms of, of, of inflation, I think they're going to pause. They're going to watch. But on the other hand, I think the the barrier to cutting is much, much higher. And I think the markets, markets are expecting 50 to 75 basis point in cuts this year. My view is we're not going to get any cuts this year. Okay. I can't envision a scenario where the Fed would reverse course. I, I, I do, do think they paused. But I don't think they'll reverse costs, uh, re re reverse. I do want to mention American Eagle numbers are out. We are going through them. Uh, the stock is down about nine and a half percent. NVIDIA is out as well. Haven't seen how that stock is moving yet, but we're going to put it on the screen and show you uh, in just a moment. Uh, Bob, I want to ask again about the debt ceiling, not so much about the chances uh, of default, I wonder if you do think that we're more likely to default based on the House setup and the Speaker's precarious position than we have been in other crises like this, but on its potential to change market sentiment, right? Even if, even if the fundamentals don't change as much and we get through this, does it suck hope out of the market and make people more fearful? And do we get stocks, equities perhaps repriced? I, I don't know. And I, I think it depends on, on what the agreement is. Um, and, John, we need, to, we need to pause or reduce spending. There's no question about it. This year, you know, the recent debt all came out at very, very low interest rates. So forget the five, five and a half percent. But we'll pay $640 billion in interest this year in the United States. Wouldn't you love to have that $640 billion to spend on education programs and, and other things that we want to invest in in this country. So I think we have to be hyper-focused on reducing spending. And I would sense if we don't focus on that, that would be impactful in terms of uh, equity prices in, in the markets. So. But I got to ask, first of all, I want to mention that uh, NVIDIA, which you've been talking about as, as a big potential deal here, we're going through the numbers. Christina Parts Nevelis is going to bring them to us, but it is up more than uh, about 10 percent right now. Uh, hold on. We are ready with that. Bob Diamond, thank you for joining us. Christina Parts Nevelis, um, hey, some traders are excited about these numbers. What do you see from yeah. NVIDIA? That's because there's so much of a, a retail flow in this stock. But what we're seeing is adjusted EPS of $1.09, which is a beat. The street was anticipating 92 cents. That's actually up 24% from the previous quarter. So 24% quarter over quarter. Revenues for Q1 came in at $7.19 billion, also higher than what the street anticipated at $6.5 billion. In this earnings report that we're getting right now, the focus the two simultaneous transitions that uh, uh, Jensen Wong is talking about is accelerated computing and generative AI. So that is their focus, our entire data center family of products. They list them. And so that's what they're, uh, we are increasing our supply to meet surging demand, which we know. And so if we were to go a little bit further down just to, to catch up on some data center revenue, which I think I'll have to get back to on just because it's not popping up right now. But we have a beat on the top and bottom line for this company. And it sees Q2 revenue of $11 billion versus the $7.15 billion estimate. So again, Q2 
Q2 is higher. Q2 gross margins of 68.6% to 70%, also higher than the 66.6% estimate. So I'm seeing, top and Christina, bottom line you mentioned uh, data center revenue. I'm seeing $4.28 billion uh, on that. So, so that's also higher because yeah. the, we were estimating $3.9 billion, So already a beat there uh, for that. So that's strong because a lot, AMD and Intel both saw data center revenue decline uh, double digits in their, their quarters. Not the case here for NVIDIA right now. Now, when I'm talking to infrastructure players, Christina, right now, I'm hearing about a, a rush, an AI rush. Um, that, that is probably what NVIDIA is going to talk about a bit. That's in a way you know, similar to the, the crypto rush that we saw a couple of years ago. Maybe it won't be as short lived because we've got a whole lot more companies in the technology ecosystem talking about the, the long, uh, the long strategic importance of AI. But we were just talking about the importance of this stock now up about 14 percent after hours to investors being able to believe uh, in, in long bets and in technology changing things, despite this rocky macroeconomic environment. What do we usually hear from NVIDIA on the call um, that, that fills in more details about the quarter? What do you be listening for? Well, to your point, NVIDIA is the one that could actually back up all of this AI hype because of their H100 chip. So we're going to be focusing on that particular AI chip. We're also going to be focusing on whether there's uh, a, a drastic amount of um, decreased demand from China, especially with the export restrictions. But to your point, a lot of this valuation, a lot of this stock was riding on the near-term demand driven by AI. And we're seeing through the Q2 revenue guidance thus far that they're anticipating it to continue to Climb. And to your point, this rush of like what we saw with gaming, will we see this rush and hoarding with these H100 chips? So what does that mean for supply going forward? What does that mean for any shortages when it comes to silicon, which is required for those chips? So those are just some of the, the few things. But a lot of it, a lot of it is riding on not only H100, but the software uh, that is uh, around that chip to, to make it work with everything else in the motherboard and data center. So interesting, Christina, as you said, gaming revenue might be down 38% year over year for NVIDIA, but they're up 22% quarter over quarter and automotive more than doubled year over year. Looking forward to hearing that call. Uh, thanks for bringing us the numbers. Up next, we're going to get an analyst's first take on these NVIDIA results that, again, have the stock up about 14% after hours. What he wants to hear from CEO Jensen Huang on that earnings call when we come back. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. Welcome back to Overtime. American Eagle and guest earnings are out. And Courtney Reagan has the numbers. Hi, Courtney. Hi, Morgan. Yeah, so let's get started here with American Eagle. It is an inline report when you're looking at earnings per share coming in at 17 cents adjusted on revenues of $1.08 billion. Slightly higher, but about in line there with the analyst consensus. Merchandise margins did improve thanks to lower cost of transportation and freight, which is what we heard from other retailers, though partially offset by increased uh, markdowns. The guidance, though, is really looking 
what it's pulling down the stock. The second quarter revenues are now being expected to fall about low single digits down. And the analysts were looking for an increase of 1.6 percent higher. Store revenues up 5 percent. Digital revenues, though, declining 4 percent. Again, in line with what we've heard from other retailers, a stronger store, weaker online. Airy comp sales increased 2 percent. American Eagle comp sales declined 4 percent. And then if we can move on and check out uh, Guess. Guess is reporting a loss of $0.07 cents per share on revenues of $570 million. Those are not necessarily comparable to estimates as we have fairly thin analyst coverage for that name. However, the company did raise its dividend and also raising its full year guidance for earnings and revenue and pointing out that the international business was stronger and helped to offset some of the weakness that we've seen in the America's business as a result of some slower customer traffic in its stores. John and Morgan. All right, Courtney, thank you. Well, we got to get back now to NVIDIA, that stock hitting all-time highs after hours after beating on the top and bottom lines. You see it there up nearly 15%. Let's bring in Needham Global uh, Semiconductor Analyst Raji Gill. Uh, Raji, I I guess it's the data center number here in part. I mean, we saw uh, Intel and AMD lower on that score. It, It just seems to indicate that the AI demand for NVIDIA, which it staked out early, is really setting it apart from its semiconductor peers. Is there some other way to read this? And do you have concerns about whether that demand continues? I mean, without a doubt. I mean, if you look at their guide for July, it's 11 billion. That's 4 billion over the street. Uh, I thought it was a typo, uh, you know, for the, when I first looked at it. Um, it's, a, it's a massive guide up. Um, some of that might be uh, higher pricing uh, for their H100, but um, you know, generative AI or ChatGPT is driving a, a step function increase for for inferencing deployed in data centers, um, and uh, we're seeing that um, that impact on the uh, on the data center business. Um, the the non-GAAP gross margins were also 70 percent, so this is you know 400 basis points. Um, above the street, so so you have a company that's doing now 11 billion a quarter of revenue. That's the highest quarterly revenue in the history of the company at a, at a 70 percent gross margin. Um, so it, they're clearly the beneficiary. You know, as we said in, in in the past, you know, semiconductors are the are the picks and shovels of AI, and Nvidia is c- clearly the biggest pick and shovel amongst the semis in this space. Yeah. Um, gaming, which I know is a smaller segment, but but still one of the bigger ones for the company, is down 38% versus a year ago. It's up double digits from the previous quarter. Um, how much does that matter to the broader outlook for the company through the rest of the year, especially as China does have this reopening? So um, data center is clearly the focus, but gaming is also an important part of their business. Um, gaming on a year-over-year basis is down as you noted, um, as a company has kind of gone through this inventory correction in gaming last year. But on a sequential basis, it's up, and it's now returning back to kind of its normal run rate, which is about $2.5 billion a quarter. And so if you recall, last year they undershipped the channel in order to clear out that excess inventory of gaming cards because of a slowdown in China, because of a slowdown in consumer spending. That, that all happened last year. They cleared that out. They got um, the market ready to upgrade to their next generation gaming architecture, which is the Lovelace. And so that appears to be on track. And so gaming um, seems to be quite strong as well. Uh, Watching this stock move after hours, it is now up almost 17 
percent. And uh, I want to remind everybody, we had Jensen Huang here on Overtime just last week talking about AI. And I got some you know, Twitter eye rolls uh, based on what he said. Take a listen. It can do anything it's instructed to do. It's a new type of computer. That's why I called it the iPhone moment. We've taken IT and we put it into the hands of literally every single consumer in the world. This is such a big deal. Talking about AI there, if you were short, I'm sorry this evening. Raji Gill, what does this signify for um, the rest of the sort of high valuation stocks? Uh, what does it signal also for the rest of the semiconductor market that has some IP related to AI. We saw a little, a slight move higher in Microsoft, not a semiconductor uh, stock uh, after hours, but it, it does have an AI play. Is this an NVIDIA tide that could lift some more boats? Yeah, I think so. I mean, if you, if you beat the guide by $4 billion, um, you, you're going to see a 17% increase uh, in, the, in the stock and the aftermarket. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a massive guide up, and it's some of it might, again, might be because of premium pricing, maybe uh, um, kind of a, a rush to, for, for orders. But it's, uh, it's not like the crypto um, kind of uh, impact, which was not their main part of the business at all. It was always. This is it, it, it represents kind of, uh, you know, a true demand. You're seeing, um, you know, significant uh, uptick and demand for their H100 in the, in the hyperscaler. You're also seeing inference. Um, being adopted by folks like Google Cloud. And we're seeing, um, you know, verticals, whether it's uh, financial services, consumer internet, you know, retail, oil and gas start to adopt generative AI in, inside their businesses. And that means, you know, natural language processing, processing voice, processing images. Now, this trend is not slowing, it's not going to slow down. I think it's going to speed up. And, you know, in terms of the overall semi-cycle, I mean, we're, we're still somewhat cautious on the cycle. Um, uh, you know, but the uh, AI kind of base plays, whether that's um, NVIDIA or AMD or even Micron on the memory side or, 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 or Marvell on the processor side, um, I think are going to continue to benefit and, um, uh, and, mm -hmm. uh, and enjoy this, this swing in the AI business. I just want to note, Morgan, this stock is now up about 19 yeah. percent after hours. This is a market cap that was already like three quarters of a trillion dollars. You don't see that every day. Yeah, we were talking about it earlier on the show, right? Yeah. That it's bigger than Berkshire Hathaway. And that when you talk about what we have seen uh, in the market resilience and the moves for the S&P year today, it's really been seven stocks that have kind of led the charge here. And NVIDIA has been one of them. Raji, you have a buy rating on the stock. It's more than doubled since the start of the year. That's even before the move we're seeing here after hours. Given the earnings report we just got, given the conversation about AI, do you buy in at these levels or do you wait for some sort of pullback at some point in the future? I mean, I think, you know, in terms of timing, that's near-term tactical timing, that's something that, you know, it's, it's going to, depending on how folks want to look at it. But if you, if you look at it long-term, um, and if you look at the potential earnings power that the company uh, can generate, um, you know, the company could double the earnings, you know, $10, $11 EPS um, over the next two to three years. And, um, you know, we believe that uh, NVIDIA will be the first trillion-dollar uh, market cap company for, for semiconductors will be the first trillion dollar semiconductor market cap company. And it has the numbers to back it, back it up. Um, so, you know, whether you want to rush in now or not, um, you know, that's, that, that's really not the big, uh, the, the main issue. I think the, the bigger picture is what is the earnings power of the company 
um, and, and the fact that it's tied to these large trends, uh, the gross margins are, are 70% on a, on a 11 billion a quarter revenue business. So that's quite profitable business. Mm. Uh, let me correct my, Raji Gill, thank you. Let me just correct myself. We're up 150% now with these moves after hours since the start of the year. And we're closing in on that trillion dollar market cap, more than $900 billion in real time right now. Yeah, I mean, up, up about 20% would I think be around $150 billion worth of market cap on paper. We'll see how yeah. it trades tomorrow, of course, but wow. Wow. Uh, and you know what? Wow. Just in terms of the conversation you did have with Jensen Huang last week and how, how much of a scene setter that was essentially for the numbers we just got here. Well, got to watch overtime. All right. Well, we're going to take we're going to talk more about this big spike for NVIDIA throughout the show as we count down to the earnings call. Overtime will be right back. Welcome back to Overtime. NVIDIA shares hitting an all-time high after hours, surging after a strong earnings report just moments ago. Let's bring in Mike Santoli. Mike, want to get your thoughts on this. As we touched on before the break, I mean, this has been one of the stalwarts of the market in terms of leading the charge for the gains for the S&P and the NASDAQ since the start of the year. Yeah, and one instance, uh, Morgan, where the market clearly was seizing upon whatever inputs they could grab to say what this, this revenue guide was going to look like for the second quarter. It's, it's just a stunning dollar amount, uh, raising guidance for, this, for the coming quarter, the, the current quarter, by $4 billion relative to the $7 billion forecast, almost to the point, and this is a minor uh, issue, almost to the point where you wonder why they didn't pre-announce, because that's the magnitude of this kind of beat. So this, what it's going to do, we just talked about the P.E. 60 times forward. Well, this is going to knock down that P.E. radically the easy way uh, by, by having everybody jack their earnings forecast uh, in the, uh, for the year to come. Uh, this was supposed to be a lull year uh, in terms of uh, profitability for the company. It was a real step back as they cut numbers last year, and now uh, it's ramping right back up. So it, to me, it says corporates have a massive kind of buying panic in uh, AI-related uh, computing capacity, and, and, and NVIDIA is collecting it. Mike, why is this happening? Uh, is it was there short interest that had built up in this name in particular because of the massive run it has been on this year? When's the last time we saw a move like an after hours move uh, in minutes yeah. this big on a market cap this huge? It's not common. I want to say the recent meta quarters have seen comparably enormous moves. Uh, whether it was on the report or on some of their layoff announcements. Uh, but that was in, usually with a depressed stock, you know, one that had already was kind of reversing trend. This is really continuing a trend. Um, so, you know, in terms of where it's coming from, I don't necessarily think this is a particularly heavily shorted stock. It's a massively liquid name. It trades enormous volumes. But you can make the case that people are going to feel underexposed to it. Uh, all the very large index names and now pushing a trillion dollar market cap. It's going to be top five market cap in the U.S., in the S&P 500 with this after hours move. Almost nobody owns, you know, enough of it to necessarily keep up with its role in the benchmark. Now, that, that math can't last forever. It's not like it's open-ended kind of self-perpetuating gains that happen with that. But that, to me, explains, uh, you know, the fact that people were bracing for this idea that it had run too far too fast. The numbers maybe uh, couldn't please everybody because expectations had gotten too high. Well, uh, obviously, that was the wrong bet. The math is adding up. This afternoon, Mike yeah. Santoli, thank you. Let's bring in another voice on this. 
Matt McElwain, he's the managing director at Madrona Venture Group, had planned to talk to you about Snowflake, but I got to talk about AI in general. There are software plays here that are just mainly software, and then there's NVIDIA, which is across semiconductors, software, uh, you know, making a platform play here. How are you distinguishing between the companies that are benefiting first in this AI wave, companies that might benefit later? Well, that's a great question, John. And, and you and I talked a little bit about this back in January. And what's happened now is AI and generative AI in particular are relatable to everybody. I'm willing to guess that every Fortune 500 CEO has said the following thing to their executive team. What is our generative AI strategy? And generative AI starts at the bottom of the stack, and that's the chipset. And that's what NVIDIA dominates today. Now, the question is, will they be able to dominate it forever? Because every one of the cloud service providers uh, has their own capabilities, whether it's tensor processing units at Google, whether it's Microsoft with some things that they're working on that they'll, I'm sure, talk more about soon, or you know, AWS with things like their own Inferentia chips. So the positive here is that it all starts with NVIDIA you know, chips today. There's a diversity of those chips that are coming out in the future. And then NVIDIA has to move up the stack into the models because the models and the data that trains the models that gives you the ability to generate something, we are really just getting started on it. And it's not at all clear that you know, NVIDIA can eat up the stack from where they've been historically, which is at the chip layer and at the software, the low layer software, what they've got, the, what's called CUDA, that enables the models to be built. I mean, you look at this, then you look at Snowflake, which is also down uh, pretty big after hours. And it, and it sort of speaks to this fact that you're seeing belt tightening in terms of some of the spending, some of the enter enterprise spending that, that companies are doing right now. But AI seems to be the one area where it is, I mean, we talk about this AI arms race, but where, where the money is still flowing, um, whether you're a business making investments for your company or whether you're an investor as well looking for the next big thing. I, I wonder how you think about that and what that means in terms of more companies adopting more capabilities more quickly right now in this uncertain macroeconomic environment. Well, like I said about the Fortune 500 CEOs, they're all asking this question. But what's also happening is, is early stage venture folks like ourselves are backing some of these great next generation companies, companies like a Runway ML, for example, other companies that are helping you build up the layers of the stack like a fixie. And those companies are going to enable both gen native applications and gen enhanced. What has Sachi been talking about all week at the Build Conference? All the ways that Microsoft is enhancing existing software applications, whether that's GitHub or that's Microsoft Office or even now Windows with generative enhanced capabilities. So for Microsoft, this is being yet another major transformative moment. It's going to ultimately become a transformative moment for every single company in the world. All right, Matt, thank you. Uh, with NVIDIA still up more than 19% after hours. Uh, Morgan, I will note, uh, Matt was just talking about NVIDIA needing to move into models. I'll note that's exactly what Jensen Huang was talking to us about here on Overtime last week in that partnership with ServiceNow. We're going to keep you updated on this huge spike for NVIDIA as we near the earnings call at 5 p.m. Eastern. And up next, NASA Administrator Bill Nelson on the future of human spaceflight after a slew of space news over the past week.
Welcome back to Overtime. There's a lot going on in the space space. On Friday, Jeff Bezos Blue Origin winning a multi-billion dollar contract with NASA to develop a crewed lunar lander that can deliver astronauts to the moon's surface, becoming the latest company working on the Artemis program. Meantime, SpaceX on Monday delivering the American and Saudi astronauts of startup Axiom's second all-private crew to the International Space Station for uh, in, an in-total eight-day mission. And bankrupt Virgin Orbit shutting down this week as its assets and tech are sold to companies including Rocket Lab. Joining us now is NASA Administrator Bill Nelson. Administrator Nelson, great to have you on the show. I do want to start with the future of human spaceflight. Between the $3.4 billion contract to Blue Origin on Friday, and then, of course, as I mentioned, this all-private mission to the ISS. Walk me through how NASA is thinking about the possibilities uh, of bringing more astronauts, more people to space in a more meaningful way. Well, we're going back to the moon in a different way this time. It's not just the U.S. government. We're going back with commercial partners, and we're going back with international partners. And that's what we've done down in low Earth orbit. We've done the same, already done it successfully, and you just pointed out last Sunday, we launched a private astronaut crew uh, to the International Space Station in order to be able to get them ready to take over low Earth orbit for commercial space station. Yeah, uh, it speaks to the commercialization of low Earth orbit and all of these private space stations that are now under development, including from Axiom. Um, I, I guess walk me through what these business relationships uh, are going to look like now. Well, if they are working with us, of course, if it involves humans, uh, NASA is going to be all over it to make sure it's safe for astronauts. Uh, but if you are, say, a commercial space company like Rocket Lab that is launching uh, a NASA instrument of which uh, there is a private startup company that's in lunar orbit right now getting ready to characterize the orbit that we're going to put our lunar space station in. Just depends on the mission as to how involved NASA is going to be. Yeah. Uh, and of course, when we talk about this AX2 mission, it's SpaceX uh, that's involved. SpaceX is also developing Starship, which, ha which had its first uh, orbital flight attempt not that long ago. That is the other lunar lander uh, that is under development and contracted with NASA alongside Blue Origin. Just, I want to get your thoughts on everything that is afoot at SpaceX and your reaction to that Starship launch attempt. Well, it was, in fact, successful by SpaceX's terms. What they are, they have a lot of hardware. They fly it. When something goes wrong, they figure out what it is, they fix it, and they fly again. And they keep doing that until they perfect it. And they've done it very well, and the proof's in the pudding in low Earth orbit, uh, the SpaceX Dragon to and from the International Space Station. Very successful program. Hmm. Um, we had news yesterday that Virgin Orbit is, is closing down, that its assets are being sold to a number of other companies uh, in the space industry. Virgin Orbit uh, had been, a, a, had been um, a contractor with NASA. We've seen some issues with some of the other space startups that have been contracted with NASA in recent years, like Astra, for example. I just, I just wonder, as you, as you get more and more creative uh, with your partnerships with industry, 
When we've seen some of these companies go public, we see their stocks uh, trading markedly lower than where they went public right now. Maybe some of them facing cash crunches. How you're assessing the financial fitness uh, of this new space industry? Uh, we are a capitalist economy. Uh, people take risk. Often where there is risk, there is high reward. And so too in uh, the space investments. And we've seen a number of these investments be very successful. I think uh, we've come through a period in which it was kind of the flavor of the day that subsided a little bit, but it's coming back because space is the place, space is hot. And it will continue to be as we go on to the moon, on then to Mars and beyond. Well, Administrator Nelson, we, we appreciate the time and, and the wide range of coverage uh, right now. So thank you for being on with us, Bill Nelson, the NASA Administrator. Have a great day. For more on investing in space, check out my podcast, Manifest Space. It is available wherever you get your podcasts. And we have a new episode. It's a juicy one out All right. tomorrow. Yeah, looking forward to that. And up next... Final thoughts on NVIDIA's spike and the other big after-hours movers. Surprisingly, some of them didn't have earnings. Some of them were moving in response to NVIDIA when we come back. Welcome back. Let's check on some of today's big after-hours movers, and it is all about NVIDIA surging to an all-time high after beating across the board. Second quarter guidance, very, very, very strong as well. That call kicks off at the top of the hour. Some names to check out moving in sympathy. AMD, um, which you know, Marvell, which has a lot of cloud chips, Supermicro, which makes server and storage systems that include a lot of NVIDIA chips. Uh, moving about 6.5% higher, Morgan. Yeah, I mean, just incredible moves after the bell. Obviously, NVIDIA getting all the attention right now, but even the other earnings movers, a lot of double-digit moves. That's going to do it for us here at Overtime. That's why you got to watch Fast Money, which starts now. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.